Hey there, we're in part eight of a series called Homecoming, and we're nearing the end of the series, which means we're almost at the end of Luke chapter 20. Today we're gonna to be starting from verse 27, and I wanna start with a question. Have you ever been asked a question that reveals more about the questioner than it did about you? You see, sometimes the questions that we ask, it exposes our assumptions about how the world works and who God is. A few years ago, when my son, Justin, he was about like four or something, I took him to Disneyland, just the two of us, and we saw this kid with a Mickey Mouse shaped balloon and this little boy, he let go of the balloon and it started floating away. Now the boy started crying and crying and crying. And so Justin looked to me and said, Daddy, is, is God gonna bring that balloon back down? He had this assumption that God was a being that was floating somewhere in the air that had the power, the physical power, to grab something and bring it back down to earth. So by me answering this question with a yes or a no, I'd be in reinforcing his assumptions that were wrong in the first place. So today, as we dive into this story, Jesus is going to be questioned by a group of people called the Sadducees. Now, Jesus is way better at answering questions than me because Jesus actually straight up answers their question, but then also addresses at the same time the underlying assumptions that were incorrect to begin with. But before we get into the story, I want to share with you a few cultural contexts that will help all of us understand this story a little bit better. The first thing you need to know is that this story that we're about to read was written 2,000 years ago, and it took place on the other side of the globe. The people we're dealing with are Jews, and these Jewish people, they've really focused and centered their entire lives around a text. We call it the Old Testament. To them, it was just their only testament. They call it their Bible. Now, our Old Testament has 39 books in it. They condensed it down to 24 by grouping certain things. Like for us, 1st and 2nd Samuel to them would be just the book of Samuel. 1st and 2nd Kings would be Kings. The book of Ezra and Nehemiah would be just called the book of Ezra. And what they also did was they grouped these 24 books into three categories. Now the first section is called the Torah, which means teachings. Sometimes they call it the books of Moses, sometimes they call it the law. The second set of books are called the prophets, or they, they call it the Nevi'im. So when you think about books like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Micah or Jonah, they all belong in this section of the Bible. And the third section is called the Ketuvim, or it's called the writings. This section has books like Psalms and Proverbs and other poetry books, but also has history like 1st and 2nd Chronicles or 1st and 2nd Kings. Oh, and by the way, we call it the Old Testament, but they called it the Tanakh because the T, N, and K, Tanakh. Now, today we're gonna to be reading about a group of people called the Sadducees. Now, these people called the Sadducees believe that the only legitimate book in the Bible was the Torah. They didn't believe that the other books were, were inspired by God. Now at the time, the Jews believed in this thing called the resurrection. Resurrection basically means after we die, we all end up in the grave. And we're gonna be resting in that grave. In the meantime, God's gonna be fixing this world. And when the world is fine and dandy, we are raised, we're resurrected out of the grave and we get to enjoy God's new creation with him. But here's the issue. Majority of the teachings about the resurrection takes place in the prophets and the writings and not so much in the Torah and the teachings. So the Sadducees, only believing in the Torah, they didn't believe in this thing called the resurrection. They believed that after you died, we end in the grave, and that's it. If that sounds kind of depressing to you, that's why they're so sad, you see. <laughs> that was bad. But with that as a backdrop, let's start chapter 20 of Luke, verse 27. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Here we go. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife with no children, a man must marry the widow and raise up offsprings for his brother. 
Now there is seven brothers, and the first one married a woman and died childless. The second, and then the third, married her, and in the same way seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Now the Sadducees are painting for us a very, very highly, maybe impossible, unlikely situation. What they're basically asking is this. If a woman marries a man and they have no offspring and the man dies, then the woman is now forced to marry his brother. And if they have no children together and he dies, then the next brother. And the question is, if she goes through seven brothers and has no children, in the resurrection, who is she really married to? You see, the Sadducees are making fun and they're mocking the resurrection. They're basically saying, the resurrection is supposed to be some perfect thing, according to you guys. But no doubt there's going to be a big feud in the resurrection because there's going to be a fight about who she belongs to. Doesn't look like heaven to me, right Jesus? You can just imagine the people who are standing around are like, oh, that's a great argument. How, Jesus, how are you going to come back on this one? Well, let's take a look. Jesus is this. The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. He's like, of course, marriage is real right here, right now. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. I love what Jesus says here. He says, you are correct in your logic. If you were to assume that the world to come, the resurrection world, is exactly the same and operates the same way as the world we're living in right now. But too bad because it doesn't. Your assumptions are wrong. There's no such thing as marriage on the other side of resurrection. Now what makes Jesus' response so genius is in the next verse. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now get this, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Now, for those of you who missed Jesus' sick burn right here, here's a quote from a scholar, J.P. Moreland. This is what he says. Jesus' genius is revealed when we recognize that he had studied Sadducean theology and knew that they did not accept the full authority of the prophets. Meaning, Jesus knew that these guys didn't accept the other two sections of the, of the Tanakh. He also knew that the very passage he used was one of the very defining verses of the entire Sadducean party. So this is what he's saying. The Sadducees had a theme verse or a life verse like you might have a life verse. Like some people would say, oh, my life verse is John 3.16. They had theirs and it was Exodus 3.6. What's Exodus 3.6? Where this is the scene where Moses is meeting God for the first time and he wants to know who he is. And so Moses says, who are you? And then, then at the burning bush, God reveals himself. And this is how he introduces himself. He says, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and God of Jacob. So if the Sadducees had a plaque and they would have their logo at the top, on the bottom, they would have this verse etched in there. You see, at the time when Moses asked God who he is, you see, people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were, they were dead ages ago, generations ago. At that point, God could have said, well, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac and Jacob. He could have said that. But instead, he says, I am the God of these people who are dead. So Jesus asks the Sadducees, in your theme verse, it says that he is the God of these dead people. Is God the God of the dead? He says, no, silly. No, no, no. God is the God of the living. So at least God's assumption is that these people are not really dead. They're still around somewhere. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're not really gone. Jesus just used their theme verse to prove to them that what they were believing was wrong. 
I mean, these are the things that make my brain just explode. <laughs> and check out how this story ends. Some of the teachers of the law, which are the people who believed in the resurrection, but they didn't have an answer to these Sadducees. So those teachers of the law responded, well said teacher. This is funny because just a few verses ago, these were the same people who were trying to catch Jesus off guard. Now they're like, yeah, that's right. Jesus is on our side. <laughs> and no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that when Jesus answers a question, he's not just answering the question that's asked, he's actually challenging the assumption that lies beneath it. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Why did the Sadducees come to Jesus with a question about marriage? Or better yet, why is there even a rule that says that if you marry somebody and the husband died without a child, you have to marry his brother? It's because in those days, it was through marriage that you've gained rank. So if you're a slave and you married a master that is high ranking, you are no longer considered a slave. You are now up there in that rank. In those days, women were considered to be property. They were less than human. And so for a woman to gain value in society, she had to marry into a wealthy family. And if the husband died without a son, she would have to marry somebody within that same family to make sure that she has that rank. But in this case, the second husband didn't produce the second child, so she had to go down through the whole family until the day she died. So beneath the layers of the questions that they are asking Jesus, the Sadducees had an assumption. If this woman were to have any value, she would have to go through the system of marrying into a family that would produce a child that would give her value. But in the middle of Jesus' answer, he puts in this line. He says this, They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. What Jesus is saying here is that you're making a very bad assumption here. You're assuming that the very broken system of this world is going to be carried over into the resurrection. You see, in the broken world that Jesus walked, there were some assumptions that people made and it was so normal to them that they just assumed it's going to carry over into the resurrection. So for example, if you're a woman, you won't have value until you marry a man that begets you a son. Or if you're a slave, you won't have value until you save up enough money to buy your freedom back. Or if you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, you have to jump through several hoops in order for you to believe that God has favor upon you. But Jesus says, no, that is not what the resurrection world is going to be like. You, a woman, will have value because you are a child of God. In the resurrection, you are not a slave because you have value as a child of God. There will be no Jew nor Gentile because everyone is a child of God. You see, the Sadducees, the question that they asked implies a few things. It implies that they were comfortable with the way that the culture was treating them because they were not women, they were not Gentiles, and they were actually rich. And so they just assumed that heaven would be more of the same. It showed that they were very comfortable and they were benefiting from the system where men ruled, who happened to be Jewish, and who happened to have a lot of social influence. He's teaching everybody that this world that you find to be comfortable for you will eventually be fixed so that it works for everybody. And, and herein lies, I think, the application for today. You see, for the Sadducees, the world that they were benefiting from, they began to assume that this is the norm. You see, having benefits and power over people who are a different race, a different gender, or people who are poorer than them, to them became the normal thing. And they just assumed that that's how heaven was going to be like. But in a world that works for everybody, you have to let go some of that power. If you were a slave owner that owned a hundred slaves and they did everything for you, in the resurrection, you won't have a hundred slaves. Another way to put it is, for them, the resurrection was a downgrade from where they were right now. And so for them, it wasn't heaven. And this is why in the book of Luke, there are so many people who are pushing against Jesus. 
They're benefiting greatly from the world they're living in right now, and they don't want to let go of it even for heaven. And in the Bible, that's called idolatry. So I, I have to ask, what are some things that you're benefiting from today that is at somebody else's expense? And are you willing to let go of that for the sake of heaven on earth? You see, while this passage is talking about the afterlife, as Christians, we believe that we could bring some of that heaven right here on earth today, right now. But that can't happen if you're not willing to let go of some of the benefits you're experiencing that is at the cost of somebody else. So what are some privileges that we're willing to let go of? Is heaven a downgrade for you? And if it is, maybe there needs to be some kind of soul searching that needs to take place. There might be some things we have to repent of. There might be some things we have to surrender. Because according to Jesus, loving our neighbors is extremely costly. So church, may we live a life where we're willing to surrender the things that are idolatrous in our lives. And may the Holy Spirit continue to shape our hearts so that we actually look forward to the resurrection. And may we all experience heaven together. God bless.